pay close attention to what brings you joy. And it might not be what you think. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Dan Anderson, and this is a podcast about sharing these stories and lessons learned by successful entrepreneurs. Today, we're joined by Mr. Aman Alani. He's the founder of Sahal Cold Brew Coffee. Aman is a 22-year-old graduate of Bentley University, originally from Dubai. He's won numerous awards, including Bentley's inaugural Shark Tank Pitch Competition and launched his first business, Kalari Sports, in 2018. Aman, how's it going? Thanks for joining. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So quite the success at, at an early age. Very impressive. A question that comes into mind, right? You're running a cold brew company. How do you drink your coffee? Yeah, yeah. Great question. I like my coffee straight black. Um, I think the main reason I like it straight black is because we've created a coffee that I like to drink just straight up. You know, I don't think, I think good coffee doesn't need anything added to it. Yeah. Um, it's naturally sweet. It's a lower roast profile. So it's, it's it's just super easy to drink and yeah, it makes for some easy sipping. Yeah. And I think you were telling me your story earlier. You were saying that you didn't start drinking coffee until college, right? So I'm yeah. kind of in that same boat where, you know, I didn't drink it through high school. I didn't even drink it in college, but until I started working, I figured I need, I need the boost. I need the energy boost. Yeah. So that's when I started yeah. drinking coffee too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've got a pretty interesting story. So I figured the best way to tell it is obviously to, to start with the product itself Let's talk mm-hmm. about Sahol Cold Brew. Uh, where'd you get the name and, and really, you know, what is the product all about? Yeah, great question. So Sahol, it uh, loosely means life in Irish. Um, you know, we saw that it was something really unique. It's punchy. It'll, it stands out on a shelf. And so far, you know, that's been validated by not only grocery buyers, but consumers as well. Um, so, yeah, roughly means life in Irish. Um, and we're, we're super excited about it. I think that it's, it's a unique name that that'll definitely stand out. And, and how did you come up with, with the Irish name, right? Cause you're from Dubai, right? Does that have right. any tie? Yeah, no, not really. Um, you know, as we were looking around for names, we, we, we jumped between a couple different options. Eventually I think we needed something that would really stand out. You see some of the most popular brands on the shelf today, Koya, uh, Runa, um, they're, they're a little like punchier, I would say, um, they're okay. not run of the middle household names. They're memorable. I think is a big thing that we were looking for in a name. And we, we think Sahol is, um, the little dot in the middle of our name really, I think grabs people's attention for, for that extra second. And hopefully, um, that drives up our conversion rates. And so far, I think, I think we've been seeing that. Yeah, that that's great. And I think one of the things that I noticed when I first tried the coffee and I do have some here, so love the product so far. But one of the one of the first things I noticed about the coffee is it's really smooth. I'm used to, yeah. to Starbucks cold brew, and one of the things yeah. that I like about it is the taste. But what I don't like is the kind of coffee aftertaste that I have after I drink it. I feel like mm-hmm. it kind of stains my mouth. I don't get that with Sahol cold brew. Is there something that you do that 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 makes it smooth? Yeah, I mean. Long story short, I think Starbucks is more mass produced and we're definitely a craft beverage. With that comes a couple of different things. The most important being attention to detail. Um, you know, it's we're obviously slightly more, we're slightly higher priced than Starbucks is. And that's because we give that extra little attention to detail. I think it comes down to the little things. I think it's, it's the way you source roast your coffee, the way you brew it. And frankly, it's going to sound cheesy, but I think we also put a lot of love into it. 
Um, and we really just have a strong love for what we do. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear you like it because I, I truly think it's, it's one of the best tasting coffees I've ever had as well. And, and I would agree with that. I mean, I'm not a, a coffee connoisseur by any means, but it really stood out to me the first time I sipped it and, and I was very impressed. So congratulations. Yeah, you. Yeah, I, th- I think you've got a great product. Curious. How do you go about sourcing the right coffee beans? And and for someone who doesn't know a ton about coffee, what are the differences between you know coffee beans? What are the options that are out there? Yeah, um, I, th- I think the key is working with a really good roaster, um, a really good partner that can you know meet you at your vision, and that frankly you know that's what we have um, with our roaster. You can get beans from a lot of different places. Um, coffee is really interesting because the amount you roast a bean completely changes how it tastes, um, some of the mouthfeel, some of the tasting notes. Um, so a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimentation, but there's some really good coffee roasters in this country, um, all the way from you know the West Coast and Seattle and Los Angeles and down here in Boston, you know, even in Florida, they're, they're good roasters all across the country. So. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely a rabbit hole once you get into it and I, I love it. There's nothing I love yeah. more than visiting, visiting local roasters and, you know, talking to them and talking to the head roasters and yeah, it's, it's been a really fun journey. That's awesome. And when you talk about sugar-free or, or dairy-free, do you find that most other products are including those things in, in their cold brews or is that unique to, to Sahol? Some are, um, some, you know, some products called like original black or I think, I've heard original black. I've heard straight up. Um, we're obviously just regular cold brew, so we just say sugar-free, dairy-free, and people assume that it's just a regular black cold brew. Right. Uh, most most are. Um, I think that especially in this current day and age that we're in, people are definitely prioritizing health and functional beverages. You know, you're seeing that with brands. You know, using MCT oil, um, keto coffee, yada yada. So. When we say sugar-free, dairy-free, I think those are two big call-outs that really convert customers. Right. Yeah, and I think that's super interesting. And we'll get into kind of the the business side of everything and and kind of the competition that's out there. Um, But I'd like to kind of take this in terms of, uh, you know, how you got started. Obviously, you've had a few ventures before, but where did the idea for for Saho Cold Brew come from? Was this just like an instant, oh, here's a problem, let's solve it? Or, Or what was the thought process behind getting this off the ground? Yeah. So like I said, you know, I never drank coffee growing up. I was from Dubai and Dubai is known for having a really rich coffee culture, you know, Arabian coffee pots, dark roast coffees and dates filled every home that I was in growing up. But I never really took an interest in coffee until my freshman year of college. So first semester freshman year, I was staying up late trying to study and I needed an energy boost. Unfortunately, our on-campus coffee shop had already closed by then because it was late. So I walked over to the vending machine and I grabbed uh frappe type grab and go bottle from the vending machine and you know thinking it'll be coffee as i'm sure you know those are thousands oh my god and yeah and (laughs) the caffeine didn't work um i had a sugar crash and that led me to think okay like there has to be a better option so i looked around and there were a few canned coffees and canned cold brews but nothing really that i loved um i found that they were either too bitter and dark roasted or they were too light and styles with sugar so that brought us back to the main problem. And I thought, why can't there be a great tasting, smooth cold brew that's good enough to be drank just straight up out of the can? And after many years of research and hard work and trial and error, Sahol was born. That's awesome. 
But what was the first step that you took? So you identified the problem, right? This was a, a personal mm-hmm. problem, but you, you, you had the vision that it was, that it was bigger than just you. What was the first thing that you did? Was it an immediate, you know, I need to get this off the ground or, or did it really take yeah. months and years? I would definitely agree with the latter. It took a while, um, you know, freshman year to my senior year when I launched it for three years, I learned as much as I could about coffee. I knew that there was something there. Um, I knew that there was an opportunity. I didn't know what it was, didn't know what it looked like, but for three and a half years, I kind of just became a coffee, a coffee nerd. Yeah. Um, I love, I love visiting grocers. Um, I bought my own little cold brew maker and I went back home and I spent the next couple of summers making my own cold brew, learning a lot about roast levels, um, varietal types and all, all of that. All the science behind it. Yeah. Too much to get into now, yeah. but I, I learned a lot about the science, you know, I learned a lot about ratios and, uh, brewing yields and that stuff. And it, it really opened my eyes and made me realize, well, like there's so much behind coffee and it's so much bigger than just Starbucks. Um, and Starbucks is awesome. Um, people ask me like, Oh, like, how do you drink Starbucks? And I'm like, it's not horrible. Like, <laughs> uh, I think my coffee's better, but I don't think there's anything wrong with Starbucks. Um, but right. I think it, it opened my eyes really. And it showed me that there's so much potential here. Um, and how can we create like a fun local homegrown brand that people can really get behind? And right. the answer was subtle. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And it took, it, it took a while, which I, you know, I can appreciate all the science and the hard work that went, went into the, the research and development, but it wasn't until, like you said, your, your senior year and, and really a class that you took at Bentley university, the entrepreneurship class with Fred Tufili, obviously a great guy knows his stuff around, around business. Um, what did you do when you first got to that class in terms of taking that first step? Right. Cause that was the catalyst yeah. to get things to start moving. Right. Yeah, um, I think, you know, we had to put a legal stake in the ground. Um, so we, we incorporated the company. Um, it's a corporation, which I thought was a great decision. Um, you know, it creates a separate legal entity, protects you in many ways. And, you know, definitely a big, a big recommendation to anyone looking to start a business. I think sole proprietorships are great. Partnerships are great. But corporations, I think, are just, just that added level of comfort and execution that sole proprietorships can really give you. So Professor right. Cecilia and I, we incorporated and then, you know, the business naturally took its course. So that was like the first big step. So did you already have the product at that point or, or, or no. how did, okay. So, so you yeah. started with the product development during that course as well. Exactly. Yep. Got it. Okay. So you, you reached out to, to different distributors, different manufacturers, found the cans mm-hmm. and then really put your science to work exactly. and, and okay. Very cool. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was definitely, there was definitely a shopping around process, but, you know, I think we eventually settled on, on a product that I loved and it was that, that first step moment, like I took a sip and I thought, wow, this, this slaps. Yeah. So, um, that was our story. That was our story. And that's, that's the exact same coffee you're drinking right now. So yeah, really, really happy with how things have turned out so far. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great to see that, you know, a course at, at a university can actually kind of get things off the ground for someone. So great to hear that. But were you always an entrepreneur? Because I, I know you, we were talking and you were saying that, you know, you were kind of raised in an entrepreneurial setting, like your, your family was involved in entrepreneurship and business. So was there an initial moment when you were a, a child or a kid that you thought, you know, this is for me or, or here's an idea and I'm just going to go with it? Yeah, um, I think growing up, I try to 
turn everything into a business. Um, I could draw, I could write. So I started making comic books and selling them in the sixth grade. Um, in the fourth grade, I realized I could paint. So I started selling my dad my own paintings. Like it was just <laughs> little things like that that I think were, were indicators of what was to come uh, in many ways. But the biggest way I think was definitely just this mindset of why can't I do it my way? Why can't I do it how I want to do it? So yeah, uh, I guess 20, no. 16, 17 years later, here we are. Very impressive. Yeah, so did you get accustomed to failing and kind of learning on your own? How did that work? Yeah, I think I think more more than failing, it was just rejection. Um, I think any entrepreneur has to be the best in the world at handling rejection. You know, you're going to get more no's than you could get from anything else in life. Right. But, you know, you can't really let that, that bring you down, let that bring you out, and you have to just find a way to pick yourself back up and keep trudging along and that's definitely taking a while to learn I'm still learning it you know no's and rejections still still bum me out but that's just the way it is and in talking to other entrepreneurs I know that that never really gets easier you just get better at handling it absolutely okay so let's talk a little bit about the business side of things and, and really starting to make money so you get things off the ground you go through the the entrepreneurial course and and things are moving you've got a corporation now so now that you've developed the product and you've set up the, the legal entity, how do you go about getting into your first store? Yeah, so two ways you can do it. You can self-distribute or you can go to a distributor. So our product, the, one of the biggest reasons that I think our coffee is some of the best tasting coffee is because it's perishable, right? So what you're drinking right now, as I'm sure you know, at the store you found it in the, in the drinks cooler um, and at home you store it in the fridge. That's because in a similar way to cheese or milk or, you know, like a fresh dip, it has to be stored. It has to be made, transported, stored and sold cold, uh, entirely cold chain. So because we were cold chain, I think that it added an added level of taste and quality, but it also added this challenge of, okay, how do I get into the store? Obviously renting my own refrigerated truck, um, wasn't really feasible. There's so much that goes into that. There's commercial licenses, insurance, storage. There was a lot. Right. So the self-distribution avenue wasn't really open for us. I would have loved if my product was shelf-stable, but I also know what shelf-stable cold brew tastes like. It's a cold brew that you find in those inner aisles of the grocery store. Um, it usually tastes a little burnt, a little bitter. Uh, some people like it. Everyone's taste palettes are different. So yeah. I, I would recommend you go, you know, try our coffee with a side-by-side -side with a shelf-stable cold brew or one that you don't find right. in the refrigerator and, and let me know your thoughts. But for us, when I tasted my first shelf-stable cold brew, I just knew that there's no way I'm charging people for this. Yeah. Like, there's no way I'm going to ask my, my customers to open their wallets for this. Um, I think there's a way to do it right, but I just thought that perishable cold brew had to be the way to go. So right. we started working with a distributor. So we currently have a New England-based distributor that services a couple thousand accounts across New England. And their trucks basically go to these stores weekly. And once I sell the store on my coffee, my coffee then gets added to that weekly order and our product makes its way to the shelf. Cool. But if you don't have sales in the beginning, right? If, it, if this is your first store, what is yeah. the what is the pitch? Yeah, it's 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 tricky, right? It's 
we talk about it in the in the CPG, which is the consumer packaged goods space. Yep. Um, it's it's a chicken and egg situation, right? Does do sales come first, or does the distributor come first? Because a distributor won't take you on unless you have sales, and unless you have sales, you can't get a distributor. So it's it's this tension. But I think from early on, I just had to get really great at selling my product, selling the potential of the industry, and selling myself because of course one one big way that I pitched it was, listen, you're not going to get a founder like me. You're not going to get a CPG founder. You're not going to get a salesperson like me. Nobody can sell my product better than myself. And this is what you're getting. So yes, there was a back and forth, but with the first story, you, you know, you just had to tell them and you just had to make a business case as to why this category is growing and why my product is going to boost their overall category sales. Right. And build the trust there. 100%. That's great. Awesome. So now that you're in the store, what does the the industry look like from a a business perspective, or or how does a similar company make money? What percentage of the final sales price that I, the consumer, pay the four ninety nine, the, the three ninety nine? What portion of that goes to you versus the actual store that sells the product? In general, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I mean, it depends. Uh, it's the worst answer, but it's also the best answer I can give. In our case, and in most cases of CPG brands, um, you get paid when your distributor buys a product. But okay. your distributor buys your product off of you, but then it's your responsibility to get the product out of their warehouse and onto the shelf. So even though, so that's where trust comes in, right? So even though they have now bought the product and paid you the money, now it's your job to sell that product to stores. I see. Um, and most distributors have a sales team, but the modern day distributor is exactly that. They simply distribute. So, I mean, to answer your question, we got paid when our distributor picks up our products, but unless we keep selling it, we're not gonna get paid in the future. So our job, if anything, has just started. Right. So what do you think the most challenging part of this business has been for you? Is it getting into the next store or is it more marketing? How does that work? Um, that's a good question. I think to an extent, it was just getting people to believe in me, to believe in my vision. Um, you know, you said it best. I'm, I'm 22. I was 21 when I started. Right. Um, I was in college when I started and not many people want to work with a college kid who has no experience. Of course. You know, I've never been in the, I've never been in the grocery industry before. There's so many, there was so much industry jargon that I just, I had no idea what it was about. You know, like I can name 10 terms off the top of my head which now are just everyday terms. But when I started, I had no guide, I had no mentor. Um, and obviously that's changed now, but it was hard. There was a very steep learning curve and nobody really wanted to, wanted to coach me along with that journey and I had no one to coach me along. So I kind of had to learn everything the hard way. I had to learn everything by failing and by getting doors shut in my face. And eventually I kind of kind of put two and two together and here we are. That's awesome. Yeah. And one of the challenges that you mentioned, I was, I was reading your LinkedIn post and you said, you know, you, you visited Vermont. One of the challenges to getting your product in a store in Vermont was that, um, you know, there are already local, you know, vendors that are out there that are loved by the people who are in that area. So how do you go about overcoming the, overcoming the objection of, you know, our, our people already love our products and you'd be replacing the, the products that we already have in house today? Yeah, I think it comes out of the this overarching 
statement that a grocery buyer's sole goal is to increase overall sales for that category, right? So yes, supporting local products is good, but at the end of the day, the grocery buyer isn't their mid-year and yearly review isn't based on, oh, we created 10 new fans today. No, it's we increased sales from last year. And the drinks cooler is now performing better than it did last quarter. So as long as we can show that our product can help them achieve that goal, we're going to be fine. What a lot of people, I think, get tripped up on is when they hear, oh, there's a great local product that's never going to leave. Well, are you outselling them? Can you get data from other places that show that your product is, I mean, forget about taste. Taste is right. 20% of the mission, right? The 80% is, can you make a business case that this product is going to help the grocery buyer achieve their goals? And once that mindset, sh- mindset shift happened, I don't think any sale became too hard for me. That's excellent. And when we talk about entrepreneurship, obviously you are you are passionate about coffee and it's it's clear to see that. How important is it for other people to also find their passion versus just going into business to try something to get that title of entrepreneur? How important is it to have that passion that you have? Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a tough spot to be in because you don't really, like I wouldn't go and start a mechanical pencils company. Right? Right. Like, I don't care about stationery like that. But there's probably someone out there who does. There's probably someone out there who's been collecting mechanical pencils and fixing mechanical pencils since an early age just, just because they're passionate about it. So I think at the end of the day, you have to do what brings you joy. For me, what brings me joy is talking about coffee, drinking coffee, and marketing coffee. And I know that's really niche specific, but I'm talking about that in the lens of what I do. Like that's not right. three things that bring joy in life, but business-wise, I think that talking about coffee is so fun. I think that building relationships with people, aka grocery buyers, is fun. Learning more about their lives, you know, their families. Like I'm on a first-name basis with all these stores that I'm in now, and you know, our relationship goes way past a business relationship. And now it's like, oh, like John from this store, it was his birthday, and he's going on a vacation next week so things like that um are are really are really fun to me so being in a position where i can build and develop that is it's fun and that's why i do what i do so people really got to just find out what they love to do awesome and do you have any advice for someone who's looking for a passion who can't identify it at the moment yeah i would say pay close attention to what brings you joy and it might not be what you think it is um try running brings you joy yeah, if, if running brings you joy, then pay attention to that. What about running brings you joy? Is it the community? Is it the physical endurance aspect? Is it trying to get better? Is it the data, the sports running? Like like, like that, you know, like pay attention to, to what brings you joy. I realized that I was happiest when I was visiting coffee shops. So I thought about that and I was like, okay, like what, what about it? And I thought, I think it came down to the fact that every coffee drink has a story behind it. So why can't I create my own version of that? And that's how that's how I got to where I am. Love it. I think uh, I think this has been a, a great inter- interview. And now, as we're coming down to the closing minutes, do you have any kind of final remarks or kind of final advice for someone who is is looking to get into business, looking to find their passion, or starting a venture on their own? Yeah, I would say just start something. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect, but done is better than perfect. is is a great thing that I like. Uh, just just start something. There's no way to learn until you're in the arena. Right. I couldn't have learned about the grocery industry until I 
got into the grocery industry. So um, there's no amount of research or lessons or anything like that that will be able to prepare you for what it eventually will be like. So just start. Awesome. Well, Mon, thank you for the time. Where can everyone buy their, their Saho cold brew? Yeah, um, head over to our Instagram. We're currently stopped at about a dozen stores and that list is growing weekly. So head over to our Instagram, click on our find us story highlights and yeah, find us. It's Sip Saho on Instagram and be sure to tag us in your book. Awesome. Thanks, Amon, and we will talk soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening and watching.